You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. Yeah. It's amazing. Gosh, I'm all, it's 15 years ago, this little church starting off, and uh, we get to make an impact around the world because of faithfulness of the people of this church. So thank you. Uh, with that, I'm going to invite Dave Weissoff up to read our passage today. As Andy said, we're going to open in Philippians 3. Um, Dave uh, is, has always been a special person to me. There's been a couple of moments in life where he's been that security blanket <laughs> in my life. I'm all, uh, I don't know if you guys watched The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I'm all, Dave's always had this kind of Father, heart of God thing that, that I've connected to. And that moment where they taught him, well, <laughs> I don't know if you're going to like this or not, but um, that moment where they talk about Aslan and he's a lion and is he safe? And they look at the, no, he's a lion. Of course he's not safe, but he is good. You know, and, and that, and, <laughs> and, and, and it, it's, that's the absolute like love that I have. I'm all this kind of like, I'm all, yeah, I don't know if he's safe, but he's good. And that beautiful heart of Dave. So, um, I love Dave with that, with that, <laughs> exactly. Don't poke, don't poke the lion. Um, but, but that love, loving heart. And so as, as we talk about our message today, um, and you'll kind of see why Dave's important for people like me in these moments as we talk about the message today, I'm going to have uh, Dave read for us. You're welcome. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> it's quite an introduction. All of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if, some of, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Philippians 3, 15 to 21. Thank you. <laughs> so, I apologize to any that might have a queasy stomach. Um, I'm a nervous puker. <laughs> Um, and, and have been for a long time um, in high school. I don't look like it now, but I played sports in high school. Um, and uh, before every game, I without doubt would throw up um, just with nervous anxiety before the game. Um, you know, sometimes ideally it was at home before we left, but other times it's like on the sideline right before we're about to start. Um, my poor wife, when... I was proposing to her. We, um, 
yeah. Um, we, we got engaged in, in London, and um, the day that we were leaving, it's, this was not long after 9-11, and the day we were leaving, I'm like, oh, I have a ring. I've got to put it in my backpack, and she's, they're going to find it. They're going to pull it out, and I'm going to propose. So I am worked up. I'm puking before we leave in the morning. And then the day that I'm planning to propose, Kelly's like, you know, we were going to go into London and spend time in the city. And goes, Are you sure? You, you seem like you're really sick. <laughs> I've been thrown up. I'm, I'm all, no, I'm fine. I just... This is what I do. I'm, I'm not. And so I don't know if you guys have picked up on this, but all of the sermons for this series have begun with the word confidence. Um, so kind of, I'm all, I, I have to sit up here when I speak because I have a nervous energy and I'm all, this kind of grounds me. Um, I feel like I, but instead, I feel like I'm metaphorically clutching my pillow and sitting back on my uh, psychologist uh, counseling session um, couch and as I deal with Andy's ability to schedule me right for those spots that, that I feel weakest at. So, awesome. Um, so with that, I don't know how many of you guys, you people in the room are confident people, like at their core. So I'm all, I had Dave come up. I'm always, always seemed like I'm all, maybe underneath all of that there isn't, but he's always seemed like that core confident guy that can come alongside you and like build you up and make you feel like you're something. I'm like, yeah, I'm not that guy. Um, you know, I can operate in some things in confidence. I've spent enough time in the kitchen that I can fix things. I've, but that's not what I'm talking about. Those people that have kind of a core confidence in life, uh, I don't know what that's like. But my daughter, I don't know if any of you guys remember Little Cam. Uh, in those early days of Cam, like in that three to four range, and she functioned with the kind of confidence that I only could ever dream of in life. She'd walk into any room and with this quiet and unassuming assurance as she like she would walk in and kind of assess the room for the first 30 minutes. She'd kind of be quiet a little bit. But as she pieced together the feel of the room, she would, over the next 30 minutes, she'd grow and fill the room until her light became the center of everyone's attention. It's kind of this innocent and pure, unpretentious, and lack that brash ego that kind of comes with modern-day celebrity personalities. But instead, she exuded that infectious beauty and uncontainable joy that somebody that's confident and comfortable in their own sin skin just exudes with everything around them. And while it's often the case and was with her kind of early days of school, a lot of that waned, but, but it's still something that I get to see glimpses in her. And as I watch her and I'm like, oh, I want to have that. And I wish I could function with that in my life. In contrast, I be, like I kind of touched on it, I have a frighteningly fragile ego that's backed up by plenty of anxiety in the wings that if any kind of self-confidence builds up, that kind of comes in to cut it under just in case. Um, and it presents in all kinds of awkward ways, and puking just being one of them. If you've ever had an uncomfortable conversation with me outside that you kind of leave and you're, well, that was kind of awkward. Um, yeah, that wasn't you. It was definitely me. Um, and you know, and if you haven't, it's probably because Kelly was there with me. She kind of grounds me. Um, or we've known each other long enough that, like, I'm all, there aren't a thousand things running through my head about what I should say, what I was supposed to say, and how I was supposed to do it. All of those things kind of running through. Um, or you're one of those unicorns that just makes everyone around you feel 
like great and comfortable. And so thank you to you people. Um, and as a result, unless I'm uber confident and comfortable in a situation, I tend to over prepare, over rehearse, over prep, which is great for work type situations. But for those unplanned social encounters, I have a couple of like, I bumped into a couple of famous chefs in the wild, and those poor people just got the full like. I, mean, I think you're awesome. Um, my voice is breaking all over again, and uh, my wife loves it. Every time it happens, she's like, "You should go talk to that guy." Um, <laughs> and I'll have my camera right here. Um, so we've called this whole series "Stand Firm." And each week has drawn us into this conversation to see the confidence that we're offered in Christ, that together allow us this ability, as Andy kind of touched on in the first message, this ability to live a life that's able to press through and forward in a dependence on a dependable Jesus Christ. And so now I know everything that Paul's hit on in, in this letter and that we've discussed over the past few weeks is absolutely true. I know that we can be confident in God's work. I know we can be confident in the struggles that we face. I know that we can be confident in service and in servant leaders, and that we can absolutely be confident in God's grace. I know it's true. I know that that's what God has for me, but knowing that truth and standing firm in that truth and living in confidence takes something more, and there's so much around us that's easier for a fragile person like me to allow myself to be distracted by. Because, you know, distraction exists because it's that path of least resistance. It's easier than the difficult thing that faces us, so our mind switches to that thing instead. And... What Paul proposes in this letter is hard. (laughs) Standing firm and and being this as a church and as a people is hard. But thankfully, Paul in our passage today really brings it to its pinnacle and helps draw our focus to the thing that can help guide us through that, reminding us that all these things that we've hit on in the past five weeks are not only true, but they're possible. Because the hope that God's already fulfilled in our lives that forms the foundation for everything and allows us to function with confidence in our goal. So as we move into our passage, we'll we'll pull back up Philippians 3.15. And before we kick off, um, so I loved Philippians when I was in college. I have an undergrad in theology and, and biblical languages. And Philippians, like I was telling Andy Moore, we would like... Um, translate Philippians for my my Greek classes. So I love this book. Um, one of the weird things that kind of kicks off here in verse fifteen is there's a word missing at the beginning. <laughs> at the beginning of verse fifteen, kind of they drop it in the then, but there's this word un that that Paul drops and and is consistently a pivot point, and they kind of drop it as then here, but it's much better. A therefore is kind of is the beginning to this kind of therefore all of us who are mature, and that that therefore is a pivot point for Paul that says. Hey, everything that I've said before, because of all of those things, and I'm going to go back and restate those things and say them in slightly different words so that we'll continue to drill that point home. Because of all of those things, I'm, we now get to draw our focus to something really important here. So remember all of that. I'm going to restate some of it and then get to my main point coming up here. And so 
that's what's happening in our passage today. Paul's calling on everything that he's talked about in the last three and a half chapters. Everything that we've listened to and, and heard and engaged in the last five weeks. And walking us through our flawed condition one more time, only to bring us back to God's answer that's the truth that's able to break those bonds that hold us back. And so, as, as it says here, all of us then, or therefore, all of us who are mature should take a view of such things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear for you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. Just as you have us as a model, keep your eye on those who live as we do. This call reminder draws us back to Andy's first message in the series. Who remembers the story of Andy's dad driving the boat through the waves and speaking of puking? And while everyone's on the the back, I just picture them kind of leaning over, kind of queezing these guys up as they lose focus on the horizon. So Paul reminds us here, he's drawing us back to this moment of not to be distracted by the things that are around us. As Paul says, if, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Now, depending on who says these words and what context and the eye roll that comes with it, it can come as two very different points. Um, if it's me, it's likely somewhat salty and egotistical, um, maybe a little dismissive, um, kind of, and definitely comes with the, the eye roll that says, look, I know you don't get it yet. I know you're not here with me right now, but trust me, in time, you'll see things the way I do, and you'll figure it out, and you'll agree with me. Just wait. Um, I use that eye roll. I know that my poor kid knows that eye roll. Um, My less proud moments. That's not what's happening here, I don't think. Paul's speaking to a congregation that he loves and cares for. And earlier in this same chapter, and Andy touched on last week, he talked about how it's not a burden to repeat these things to them. And the goal of Paul and any good communicator isn't to repeatedly emphasize a point while rolling their eyes until everybody becomes sick of them. Their arrogance. Instead, the goal of Paul and the good communicator is to lovingly repeat the same story over and over until the recipient rolls their eyes and says, Yes, I know, because it's become so ingrained and they can repeat the words, you know, restate the words and cut them off before they finished it. So, what Paul's saying here, rather, is look, I know that there are things that you're going to think differently about, but in time, God's going to make those things clear to you. And that's okay. We're living in a world that is continually reminding us about the differences between us and being pushed to the conclusion that those differences separate us. But Paul here says and sets it aside to say, look, don't be distracted by those things. They're not critical. And God will make them clear over time. Look how much you've already grown together. Look at what you've already, God's already brought us all through. See how much bigger than any difference you might encounter those things are. And then fix your eyes on those that live as we do. The focus point that draws us out of that shifted gaze of differences is, as Adam touched on it, is those people that bring life to our community. Adam talked about two weeks ago um, these uh, proximal saints. That, you know, that kind of, well, that's, that's what it was, right? Yeah. Um, these proximal saints, those people around us, uh, proximate saints, there we go, I found it in my notes, proximate saints in our community, um, those people that are in our lives and demonstrate to us the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the willingly suffer, uh, 
the willingly suffering love of Christ in our immediate community. We spent time in the service. We spent time in that service to look around and see who those people are, calling them out and kind of giving them that moment of like, hey, this is the impact that you've had in our lives. Well, Paul here considers the point strongly enough to come back to it that, hey, see these people, these things. He kind of references back. And so I will too. Yeah, let's be a people that spend more time fixing our gaze on the beauty and eternal things in each other's lives instead of the things that we maybe differ and disagree on. I mean, can we imagine what it would be like and what a crazy thought it is to be a people of God that are known better for the way that we love each other and raise each other up in our community? And so Paul swats that aside. Look, don't get lost in that. It's a distraction that's going to set you aside and it's kind of be bats it off and kind of reshifts. It's kind of that moment where you kind of look your kid in the eye and it's like you're getting that eye contact of like, okay, stop, look me in. Okay, we're there. And then moves on. like, And so swatting that aside and drawing our gaze away, he moves on to verse 18 and 19 to address the bigger issues that might not just draw our gaze, but rather our full attention and focus from the truth. But you know, you know, that first answer might be fine for these little issues. But as we see up here, there are bigger issues in life than the little things that distract us. What do we do with that? So Paul says, for I've told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and their mind is set on earthly things. This enemies of the cross thing is the key element in this, and it's the reminder again, Andy, I'm going to keep referring back to other weeks because that's what Paul's doing here and bringing them up. Andy pulled us into this last week of this idea of Paul sees the world as people in two groups. There's us as believers that live the truth, the full and complete truth of the cross, that we're full partners in Christ's work there at the cross, meaning we share both in Christ's suffering and therefore with his glory in that work of the cross, the full and complete gospel. In contrast, there's those that seek to add or remove from that process and preach a gospel that's contrary to this full, full gospel. And those are those enemies of the cross that he's talking about here. That's the distinction that Paul makes over and over in his writing, not just here, but in, in his other books as well. And so Paul's reaction to these divisions is not this pride or even rage, but he weeps in that moment because his heart knows. He knows that what it's like to be and live a a gospel plus life. He's tried that. He's lived it to the highest degree, the Jew of Jews and, and all of that that we touched on. He lived that and knows that all of it is nothing. And so his heart breaks in that moment. And at the same time, you know, anything less than Christ and the Christ crucified draws away from the power of the cross and everything. So it diminishes that. Um, I don't know. Anyone remember? Where's Dave? Um, well, do, you remember, what's the, do you remember the word from last week? Andy's, uh, Andy's scum word from last week? I'm all, I'm all, I love, I'm all scubalan. I'm all the new word for all of our dictionary. I'm all, it, it, it's garbage. It's rubbish. I'm all, and, and that's what all that is. It discredits all of that. So Paul knows that the absolute loss that this path leads to, and he mourns over those that are lost in it. So then it, Paul sh- causes us to shift our gaze over these little distractions I'm all, that are 
kind of, what about these more onerous and divisive things, these enemies of the cross? Surely a more, as, as we look at the next part of our passage, there's got to be a more aggressive weapon to kind of counter these with, the counter protests, clever memes that we can post in our defense, because I know that makes me feel better. But again, here Paul answers similarly as he did before. For while these people have this mindset on earthly things, Paul instead brings us to the climax of his letter, the promise that allows us to shed all of those things aside as he reminds the church in Philippi that our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Before I jump in here a little bit, I want to talk a little bit about the people of Philippi. At the time of Paul's writing the letter to the Philippians, Philippi was a key city, you know, Rome, Italy, Greece, kind of close to Italy, kind of Philippi's in kind of northeastern Greece. Um, already part of the Roman Empire, Empire Octavian uh, made, made it a Roman military outpost, and since it was made up of some of the most fertile land in the area, uh, once the military conquest in the area was done, I, he gifted it that land to a lot of the veterans and um, the, the the main generals from the army. And so, uh, on top of that, not only was uh, it was Philippi made a Roman colony, so with the land, the citizens of Philippi were given Ius Italicum. See, I can speak Latin as well. The highest privilege obtained by a municipal and provincial municipality. In tantamount, what it meant was that the people of Philippi were not only citizens of Philippi, they were citizens of Rome. Um, Rome itself, and given all of the rights and privileges that were given to full citizens of Rome, of the home country. The limitations that were placed upon con conquered regions, the inability to buy and sell land and own things of their own, that didn't happen in Philippi. You could do all those things. They didn't take place there. The land and poll taxes that w were implemented on other parts of occupied land, you didn't pay those in Philippi. You were exempt from all the extra rules because you were citizens of Rome itself with all of the rights and protections that came under that title. So this idea of a citizenship meant something critical to these particular people in Philippi. Their status of citizens in, of Rome in the midst of a foreign land was important to them and made up a core part of their identity and status. So with that, I know I stand in a delicate moment here. As a non-citizen in the country, um, the benefits are acutely I'm acutely aware of those things, and they're very apparent. Also, the idea of an Englishman talking about colonies is kind of a... Um, we'll be careful with that one. Also, I'm sure at some point there'll be... Um, uh, that I inevitably apply for my citizenship, there'll be an INS uh, immigration agent that will watch this video. Hello! Um... <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Immigration person. Please be kind on my review. Um, I only do good things. Um, but setting that aside, this is not what was going on there. What's going on in Philippians is very different. Paul's drawing a sharp contrast. Yes, there's enemies of cr the cross that will vie for your attention, but, but don't be distracted by that because their minds are set on these things of earth. I weep for them, but don't let that draw you away. 
It, it's like when you're trying to draw your kid's attention, like I talked about, that first part is where you kind of like grab their eyes in that moment and you're looking at them like, okay, this is the part where you kind of have to shift their shoulders and draw their head in uh, because that external stimulus is so high. You're like, no, 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 like focus. This, this is the point because Paul calls on this status of citizenship to remind the church of Philippi, look, you don't have to be overcome and taken in by these things. Why? Because you're citizens of heaven. You're not, you don't have to be stuck with these people that are uh, citizens and, and are stuck in these earthly things. You're citizens of heaven with all the rights, privileges, and protections that come with that status. It doesn't mean that heaven is our home and we're simply passive passengers in a foreign land waiting till we can go live in heaven where we belong. Like the citizens of Philippi, they're not longing to move to Rome. 800 to 1,000 miles doesn't seem very far. It's about five to four to six weeks journey in the ancient land to go, in the ancient world to, to get over there. But not only that, Rome's overcrowded and underemployed. These people have made their lives and settled here in much better land than they would ever have in Rome. No, their task in Philippi is to bring Roman culture and rule to Philippi and northern Greece and expand Roman influence there. So to us, similar to the people of Philippi and, and the church of Philippi, the reminder is in the essence that we're dual citizens. We are full participants and full participant citizens in the land that we live in. And our heavenly citizenship doesn't negate or reduce that responsibility or duty, but it's a promise and a reminder that we're heirs to something eternal as well at the same time. For just as the... Philippian citizens of Rome lived under this earthly protection of their promised savior, Caesar. Paul pulls from the same imagery that they'd been, they'd been incredibly familiar with, that there'd be a savior, emperor savior that would come rescue them in the, if there was a moment of need. Paul pulls from that same thing that would be familiar in this great eschatological promise that we await a savior, the master Jesus Christ, who'll transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skills by which he's putting everything as it should be under and around him. And now, so Paul's answer to this distraction, to this division, to this thing that might pull us away and is the promise of hope. Now, one day, we'll, I'd love to do, we'll do a series of like these great tents of peace, faith, hope, and love, because there's this thing, hope, in Paul's letters, and I love it, and I've been, and, and it, it's one of those uh, misunderstood and undervalued things in our world that is misinterpreted in, and has been kind of misconstrued in our earthly culture. Uh, but, this Christian hope that we're presented in Paul's letters isn't this wishful thinking or desperate optimism that we engage in in secular society, that we hope that our team wins, that we hope that our Super Bowl prop bets will pay off, that we hope something will go right for us eventually. The hope expressed in Paul's letters and here in Philippians is something so much greater. It's that steadfast assurance of a promise that we've seen fulfilled in part and we continue to see through God's ongoing faithfulness in our lives and the lives of those around us, and that we're just waiting for the completed fulfillment of. 
And so for me and for all of us, this is the promise amidst the noise of everything that seeks to draw our gaze and our focus. It's that light that cuts through the storm, the voice that cuts through the chatter, the confidence that allows us to stand firm in the way that Paul shows that God is calling us to live a life that's able to press through and forward in dependence on a dependable Jesus Christ. That confidence isn't ours, and it isn't in ourselves. It's that annoying, and I hate those catchy, cliche phrases. It's that annoyance that our confidence stems from not who we are, but whose we are. Um, and and I'll, I'll invite uh, Kerry and the band to come up, but I can earnestly say that that is this deeply ingrained steadfast promise of of hope that when my mind is lost and caught in those moments in that pits of loss of despair and i know i spiral in those like ah nothing's gonna this hope is the thing for me that i know forms that foundation that i'm able to rebuild from it what it's what takes me from i know that this is true and that I should be able to stand firm in the confidence of God's work and his struggles and the struggles I face in service and in God's grace. And it forms the foundation for me to actually be able to stand in confidence in those things. Because it's not in any way a confidence of who I am and what I can do, but it's in the promise that I am his work in progress. Called as a citizen of heaven to be made beautiful in his time. But until then, I live as a citizen of his kingdom and expand his influence here. And so as a church, as we consider everything we've learned over the last few weeks, and as we start to figure out who we are again in this new world, as we start to finally, finally emerge from a pandemic, which has jostled up so many things around us, can we be a church and can we decide to be a church that raises each other up, that encourages and brings those up around us? And as loving examples of God's power to the world around us, can we be a church that fixes our eyes on our heavenly identity and purpose as a beacon of God's hope to a world that desperately needs that light? Can we be a church that stands firm with hope confident in the promised goal ahead of us, continually reaching for him and following his lead in everything as we go out from here. I think we can, and I hope that we can. And honestly, I urge you as, as, as the guys play and as we celebrate with communion and then step outside, what does that look like for you and for us as a church? Let's talk about that. Let's engage that idea. What, is, what would it be to be a church that lives like this and hopes like this? What would it look like in our actions with each other and with our immediate community for those that we encounter every day? I think it would really be exciting for us to begin to see what that looks like. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.